0: News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi.
1: Well, it was U.S. President Joe Biden's first State of the Union address last night, addressing a worried and anxious nation, not to mention the rest of the world. His big promises included dealing with Russian aggression in Ukraine, helping to tame inflation at home, and also dealing with the response to COVID-19. And surprisingly, there were some displays of unity between the two big parties here. So for more on the speech and the reaction, we're joined now by our Global News Washington correspondent, Reggie Giacchini. Good morning, Reggie. Good morning. How did the speech go over?
2: Uh, So, look, it depends on what side of the aisle you're on. There are Republicans who are giving the president uh, a C and a D grade. There are some Democrats saying that this was an A speech uh, at a time uh, where America needed to see their leaders standing uh, on not only a domestic stage, on a global stage. I think the president, uh, you know, did what he could under the shadow of what has become a crisis that's not only impacting the entire world, but really having an impact on the average American.
1: Okay, so what did he lay out here? What are his goals?
2: Uh, So, I mean, it depends. He laid out a couple of things uh, on the foreign policy stage, uh, namely that Russian airplanes would no longer be allowed to fly uh, over U.S. airspace. He also named uh, that there would be uh, an attempt to go after uh, oligarchs who have yachts and expensive properties uh, in the United States. On the second part of that, on the domestic agenda, uh, he vowed to kind of hit a reset when it comes to the COVID pandemic here uh, and stop looking at COVID as something partisan, looking at it more as a disease, uh, really trying to push the domestic agenda when it comes to voter protections here uh, and trying to push the uh, the country forward when it comes uh, to infrastructure, which really was his big win in his first year.
1: Right. OK, so we talked a lot about that. He um, talked about unity as well. That would seem to be a big theme. Yeah, and I mean,
2: look, this is a country that's been divided uh, for more than four years now, at least when it comes to uh, politics. But you know, unity was a big moment, especially in the first 12 minutes of this speech last night when he was talking about the United States response to what has become an increasingly aggressive um, push by the Kremlin. Uh, you noticed time and time again, the entire room stood up to uh, to lend applause to what President Biden was saying. This is something we really haven't seen over the last year where you have Republicans taking to the floor uh, to, to give credit to something that President Biden uh, is doing. He's trying to build on that unity by saying, look, we can do things as a country together the problem is that's foreign policy on the domestic agenda not only does he have uh you know fractures within the republican party there was also some dem- uh, some rather democratic criticism to how president biden was addressing certain or not addressing certain issues last night as well so he's trying to be that unifying president it's just really difficult
1: yeah he certainly seemed to be sending a message to the uh, to the part of the wing of his party as well when he said the message is not to defund the police the message is to fund the police and this is something
2: that has really fractured Democrats. There are members of the far left part of the Democratic Party who have really been pushing this message of defund the police. We heard this all throughout the summer of 2020 and continuing. Uh, Republicans have hit back on it and more moderate Democrats have hit back on it as well, saying, look, this is not the right phrasing. We need to ensure that law enforcement is something that exists around the country because ultimately they are there for the people's protection. Uh, and this is a step away from, you know, being that far, you know, extreme part of the Democratic Party for this president who really is trying to say, look, we can work together, we can do this together. But he did face criticism from Democrats for not acknowledging more of a defund the police, but be, uh, you know, the efforts of uh, black Americans, uh, you know, over the course of his first year and who got him to where he is.
1: Is this was he sending a message, do you think, though, to Democrats, Reggie, here with the midterms coming up?
2: It's possible. I mean, look, Republicans are poised to to regain control by the end of the year. Uh, and the president is saying, look, we need to get our messaging o- online here, because if we don't, we run the risk of not only losing out on what you might want to see me do as, as, you know, progressive parts of the Democratic Party. We may run out of an ability to do anything because Republicans will stand in the way. Uh, you know, he's trying to build up that. Look, Republicans are fractured. They can't get their messaging online. We have a few months left. We need to try to stand together.
1: Right. So when it came to the issue, though, of dealing with Ukraine and Russian aggression, it certainly seemed like there was unity on that issue.
2: Absolutely there was and top Senate Republicans including Mitch McConnell have come out in the last 24 hours to signal that they are standing in support of how President Biden uh is moving forward because we have to remember a, a lot of the the, the you know the, the the members of the Republican Party are on the older age uh spectrum here uh, and they've seen President Biden in action for decades. They understand that he is the statesman like person who is able to try and put foreign policy into action here uh and pushing back on on Vladimir Putin, putting these sanctions in place, trying to re- lay that back to Americans to say, look, it'll be a short term pain, but the long term gain is going to be democracy through Ukraine and a pushback on the Kremlin. uh, This is why he was receiving such broad support from the entire room last night.
1: Right. And so also closing Russian closing the airspace uh, above the United States to uh, Russian aircraft. That's something Canada did, uh, you know, days ago, and now they're they're going to be doing the same.
2: Absolutely. Following in line, or falling in line, rather, with uh, the allies in Canada and across Europe, making it more difficult for uh, the average Russian to be able to move about, but also making it that much more difficult for the Russian oligarchs to be able to move about. We're at a point right now where the Russian delegation to the United Nations can't even get back to New York because there simply isn't airspace for them uh, to be able to fly over. So this is that point of saying, uh, look, Russia, you're in the position that you're in because you put yourself here. That is why we heard the president last night open up with his speech saying, Russia is more isolated than it's ever been.
1: Yeah. Any surprises, do you think, in that speech?
2: I I think that, you know, it's hard uh, to to look at what surprises may have been there or may have been missed. And that's because there is such a shadow hanging over top of what is supposed to be an opportunity to give a domestic speech. When you take 11 minutes out and you put that towards foreign policy, it doesn't let you focus on things that you may want to focus on without having the speech drag on uh, for several hours. I think the fact that he used uh, the bully pulpit here, to talk to Americans, but also to bring in a global audience really showed that Joe Biden is trying to become the wartime president to say, look, we are dealing with crises at home right now. We are dealing with crises abroad. We need to stand together uh, and work together and bickering with each other and fighting with each other is only going to potentially make things worse.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. We'll see what happens. Reggie, thank you. Thank you. Reggie Cicchini, our Global News Washington correspondent. Another interesting line in that speech last night where President Biden made it clear. He said, quote, our forces are not going to fight or not going to Europe to fight in Ukraine, but to defend our NATO allies in the event that Putin decides to keep moving west, end quote. So clearly drawing the line there that there will not be military involvement unless things go further than they already have, sending that signal for sure. But as uh, Reggie was pointing out, lots of unity on the issue of dealing with Ukraine right now, that's for sure.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
1: We've been talking a lot recently about the issue of crime, particularly in Vancouver. And it's why I think there's so much interest in this virtual forum on public safety that is going to be happening tomorrow. It's being organized by Vancouver City Councilors Sarah Kirby Young, Rebecca Bly, and Lisa Dominato. And they said they're doing this because they want to hear from residents who are concerned about crime in their neighbourhoods. And they said that it was the news that about 60 assaults happened over the Family Day weekend, a third of them being stranger attacks, that made them want to kind of kick this off and get this conversation started. And of course, in the last couple of days, we've also talked extensively about what happened in the Fairview neighborhood of Vancouver over the weekend. That was Saturday afternoon, where in a span of a short period of time, something like five people were attacked. And Vancouver police have said they do believe that there were mental health issues involved in that. So when speaking on the Jill Bennett show, then, Councillor Kirby Young had this to say about what kind of approach should be taken regarding crime and mental health support. I think to your point around this case, it was a mental health issue. We're hearing that loud and clear. We have a huge gap. I think in my opinion, in terms of mental health services, um, we have a real gap in terms of supportive housing. But what I'm hearing loud and clear is that the public doesn't feel safe and we can't, it's not an, an either or public safety or investing more in mental health support. It's both. Okay, so that's Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young. At this forum, uh, they will be there. The councillors will be there. They will also feature Vancouver Deputy Police Chief Howard Chow, uh, Nolan Marshall, who's the head of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. Also, there will be our next guest, Guy Felicella, harm reduction and recovery advocate. Guy, thanks for being here this morning.
3: Oh, thanks for having me, Cindy.
1: So why do you feel it's important to go to an event like this?
3: Well, I, I just think from, you know, my experience and, and perspective on things is that, um, you know, they'll probably differ from what, you know, the usual um, people believe that, you know, more enforcement and, um, you know, locking people up and um, and just how, how that hasn't worked and how it will continue to not work if we continue to keep going down the same path. I mean, you know, people are struggling if you think about it. You know, sometimes um, people do things as a call for help. You know, imagine if you go to a facility three times in a day trying to ask for support or help and you get turned away. Um, you know, you feel pretty defeated, but try doing that for like, you know, six months every day. Um, it can, you know, make you get to a breaking point um, where you do things that are really out of character.
1: Is that what you think is happening on the streets?
3: I think there's a lot to go with it. I also think, you know, also, you know, lack of housing, nowhere to go. And then on top of it as well as is- <clears throat> the illicit drug supply is, is definitely making people act out of character. I mean, you know, contaminated with benzodiazepines, um, that withdrawal in itself is just extremely challenging. You know, even in my own journey, I I, I did a lot of things. I look back and and have regrets uh, regrets for, but you know, never my intent was to hurt anybody. Um, but obviously, that did happen as well. And so, I think you know, the same thing's happening today.
1: So, if we want to you know make sure these kinds of incidents don't happen anymore, then guy, what do we need to do?
3: Well, you know, I mean, definitely you know when you're homeless, sleep deprived, using substances, can't sleep on the street, that that's just a whole new ball ball game of like trauma um, and frustration. And so I think that's what you're seeing. Is I, th- I think you're seeing people acting out because they are frustrated with the system. And just like Sarah was saying, we don't have any housing. We don't have any supports. Our best supports are, you know, let's throw them in prison or let's throw them in a, in a mental institution, um, you know, where you're locked up. You know, our best support for mental health in the prison system is, is lock them up in solitary confinement. I mean, how is that supporting somebody? And then they get out And it's back to the exact same thing. I mean, we just don't do a good job at changing things. And so we really have to give people, I think, supportive housing that has proper supports and outreach workers and case management teams. You know, in my own life, I remember a a judge finally just said, you know what, putting this guy in jail has not done anything. And they they put me in a, a community program in the downtown east side that really helped me. But the first thing was first is that, they managed to get me housing, which really kind of stabilized my life uh, to some extent, a lot better than what it was when I was homeless. And that's what we need to do.
1: Right. It sounds like it will be a lot of things that help and it will be incremental. I think people want to see a difference, right? Like, oh, we're going to do one thing it's going to help right away. But that is, that's not realistic.
3: Yeah, not at all. I mean, this is going to, listen, we're really pretty much undoing like, you know, 40, 50 years of damage. Um, And that's going to take time. But, You know, I definitely think there's a lot of challenges and one especially is that, you know, people aren't, um, especially people who are struggling, they're not even diagnosed or maybe they were diagnosed with something that's not going on in their life or undiagnosed and then, you know, using substances, especially the illicit substances um, that just adds another layer to frustration for people as well. And so it's just, it's a really challenging time. And, and listen, like, you know, I, I feel for not only the, the people that are being impacted, but also mm-hmm. the, the person that's um, impacted as well.
1: You, you talked about the kind of poison drug supply out there, Guy. What kind of an impact is that having? Like, what how is that changing people's behavior?
3: Well, it's just making people extremely desperate. Um, when you're in withdrawal from uh, these, uh, you know, uh, benzos, especially benzos. I-, I mean, literally, it feels like you're on fire. You'll do anything. You'll you'll have to do anything to get to alleviate that pain. And um, there there really is no support for that. And so you know, to get access or to have uh, a safer supply would really give people that opportunity. So they wouldn't be, listen, I'm not saying it's going to remove people uh, completely from the illicit drug supply, but what it will do is provide people who are in withdrawal a place to go so that they could get out of withdrawal without acting out of character and having to do things out of desperation to get um, their next fix or whatever.
1: Okay, so do you think forums like this are useful?
3: Well, I mean, yeah, I always think awareness is good. It just depends on how it's going to go. I mean, I I talk, I like to, you know, I don't want to talk to people that get it. I'd rather talk to people that don't get it. And so, you know, I I think you can give a a perspective or an understanding from a different point of view that does make people think. Because honestly, if you think that, you know, we're going to, you know, put more money into police and give them more powers to to change things, they're not going to change anything. And you have to remember, too, um, police don't... um, prevent crime they show up after a crime's committed so you have to think about all these things that we're doing and really have to look at like making a difference and changing that
1: all right guy thanks so much for your time
3: no thanks Simi. have a great day
1: this is mornings with simi The Bank of Canada has announced its overnight rate is increasing to 0.5%. That is up from 0.25% and represents the first rate hike that we have seen in about four years. Now, that is something that they had been signaling they would do, that they would use higher interest rates to tamp down on inflation. Remember, inflation hit a more than 30-year high in January. So what does this mean to you? Well, joining us now to help break that down is Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, who's a personal finance expert and journalist. Rabina, thank you for being here. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Okay, so now we've got you. Let's talk about this. What does this mean for Canadians, this kind of interest rate hike?
4: Well, the first thing that we worry about is our mortgages, right? So if you have a variable rate mortgage, uh, one that is affected by uh, prime, the commercial prime rate at your bank, um, that is going to get more expensive. Now, two things could happen. Um, You could be in a mortgage where they will be sending you some correspondence saying your payments are actually going up because the interest rate um, is higher now on the mortgage that you have. Or your payments will stay the same, but more of your money will be going towards interest payments, which means when you go to renew, you will have a bigger mortgage than you would have anticipated when you first signed up. Um, so it's good to know what kind of variable rate mortgage you are in, because are in, there are different types. Uh, but it does mean that more of your money is now going towards uh, paying uh, interest rather than principal, and so that means it'll take longer for you to pay it off.
1: Right, so do you think a lot of people were using that variable interest rate? Because, I mean, I remember thinking, listen, I'm going to lock in for as long as I possibly can because these these rates can't last forever.
4: Yeah, I mean, variable rates historically have saved Canadians money, um, especially in the last 20 years where we've seen rates uh, pretty much at rock bottom uh, for for, for, uh, those who are borrowing to buy a house. Now, when you do go for a fixed rate, um, you do pay a higher interest rate immediately compared to that variable rate. So a lot of Canadians, even if they could afford to pay that fixed rate, don't want to pay more towards interest and will go for that variable rate option. Now, what I've always been saying is that if you go for variable, um, up your payments, take advantage of the fact that you are paying less interest on that loan. And when rates do rise, it's a smaller amount of loan uh, that will will be affected by that rate going up. And so you won't feel it as much when it comes to interest payments.
1: Right. So Rabina, then if people are hearing this news today, what should they do? Should they be calling their bank? Should they call their finance person? Like, what should they be doing?
4: Yeah, I mean, if you are worried about your ability to pay your mortgage, I absolutely would be calling uh, your 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 bank and saying, you know, uh, how is this going to affect my payments? I'm already struggling to make uh, payments on the current mortgage that I have. They may be able to give you some solutions as to how you can manage your mortgage payments going further. The one thing that, to note is that the Bank of Canada now is on uh, a trajectory where they want to continue to raise rates. Inflation, as you know, is at 5.1%. That's the latest numbers. Um, in some cases, for example, grocery costs have gone up double digits for Canadians, things like meat and dairy. Uh, These are staples that Canadians buy that have become increasingly more expensive. And so they're trying to tamper that by raising interest rates. And so there are six more opportunities for the bank to raise rates. This year, and so you know when you're speaking to your uh, mortgage specialist about your your ability to pay your mortgage down, also be doing your own stress test to see um, it, could you afford that mortgage if rates were right. a percentage point higher than
1: they are um, even right now. That's good advice. All right, Rabina, thank you. Thank you for having me. Rabina Ahmed Haka is a personal finance expert and journalist talking about the impact on all of us of this Bank of Canada interest rate hike that just happened about half an hour ago. So they raised it 25 basis points. And that means that from their floor of 0.25%, it's being raised to 0.5%. So yes, if you have a variable interest rate mortgage, that is something you will need to talk to your bank about because it's going to start to impact people. If you find a way in, Simi at CKNW.com.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
1: Like many other people, I have thought in the last couple of weeks, what can I do to support the people of Ukraine? I looked for some local Ukrainian businesses and thought, hey, I can eat at some Ukrainian restaurants. Well, turns out a lot of people have had that response and that reaction. Sergey and Irina Karpenko moved here from Ukraine in 2012, and they opened Kozak Eatery. It was popular before all of this even started. They had three locations, and now... Well, now it is crazy busy. So let's find out more about that. Joining us now is Sergey Kuznetsov, who's a director of Kozak Ukrainian eatery. Sergey, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. How busy is it right now at the different restaurants?
5: How busy it is? Uh, it's, it's fairly busy. It's fairly busy. I'm grateful that people uh, come and show their support and uh, at least at least. You know, uh, we can share the actual uh, situation in Ukraine with them, so uh, more and more people would know what's going on in Ukraine.
1: Is that what people are saying, Sergey, when they come to the restaurant? Is it because they sought out the restaurant because of what is happening in Ukraine?
5: Mm, I, I, like, not, not everybody, right? No, but um, most people just show their support, and they express their support.
1: Do you have family back in Ukraine? Yes, of course. And what have you heard from them?
5: Uh, I haven't heard from uh, them, from many of them uh, lately. Uh, obviously, you're following the news, and you know that how difficult the situation is in there. So, yeah. Bombs falling from the sky, rockets, people dying, villages on fire. That, that's, that's what I hear from them.
1: Oh, Sergey, this must be so hard for you. You bet. What is it that people can do? Because I've had many people ask me, how can we help? And so, and I'm sure people ask you as well, what, what can we do to help?
5: You can go to your local members of parliament, ask to uh, lobby the refugee program for Ukrainian women and children. You can go to members of parliament, lobby no visa program for children and people. Uh, you can go to rally. Uh, we we next rally is this Saturday at um, one o'clock by the art gallery. Uh, you can reach out to your fellow Ukrainian Canadians and uh, just check on them, how they're doing, and uh, asking if they can do. I mean, if just ask them how they're doing. It it works a lot, trust me. And uh, then this message uh, gets sort of passed along or communicated uh, to Ukraine as well.
1: What would you like people to know about Ukraine?
5: I want to know that uh, we've been fighting for our independence since a long time ago, since uh, as long as as Ukraine exists, and this is more than one and a half uh, thousand years ago. So we've been constantly fighting for the independence and we keep fighting and we will be fighting and uh, I'm sure that we will win this war and uh, even though this situation is so tragic and uh, difficult, uh, we will find uh, a way to win and it will lead to better um, future for globally, not only for Ukraine, not only for Eastern Europe. I guess it's the time to... Uh, shake things up in eastern Ukraine. It's time to change uh, the political vibes and uh, hopefully it will lead to to the better future in Russia itself uh, and the collapse of Putin regime. And uh, hopefully the whole world will, uh, thanks to, I mean, Putin did a good thing. One good thing: he united Ukrainians. He united basically the whole world uh, with Ukrainians against uh, Russian invasion, and uh, with with the help, uh, we, we will see better future in next. Sergey, when years, fifteen years.
1: You, that's a good point that you make there. How the world seems to be united about this. Did that surprise you? Given what happened in twenty fourteen, it seemed like the world didn't pay as much attention, but they are they're paying attention now.
5: Yeah, I believe uh, the world now paying attention because in um, two thousand fourteen it did look like local uh, local war, like local situation, and uh, most countries did not think that. Uh, Putin has such an evil agenda and such an elusive mind, if that's the right word to use, uh, that now basically everybody is aware that nobody knows what, what he's going to do next, mm-hmm. right? Where he will go next. Is it Baltic uh, Baltic countries? Is it Poland? Is it where? Or is it a uh, nuclear bomb on Canada and the United States? That's why everybody now united because uh, it's 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 never local, it's never local. It's uh, always it has uh, consequences, uh, always. It, but it depends on the how massive uh, the situation is.
1: Right. T- can tell me about the restaurant. H- what kind of food do you have at the restaurant?
5: It's Ukrainian food. It's authentic Ukrainian food, food that uh, we grew up uh, eating ourselves. That our mothers, grandmothers, uh, been cooking for us. And, uh, yeah.
1: What what are some of the more popular items that people want to come? Uh,
5: You know, Ukrainian food. It's uh, vareniki. We make pierogies by hand. It's cabbage rolls, borscht. Uh, Your Ukrainian staples. Let's put it this way.
1: Okay. Now, I'm sold because I've been thinking I wanted cabbage rolls and borscht and pierogies in the last week or so. But have the restaurants been busy? Can people still come down and get a table?
5: Yeah, of course, you can get a table. You We do a lot of takeout as well. We do takeouts through delivery companies as well. So, yeah, there is always a way to grab your lunch. Uh, we have uh, the, uh, we call it family size, size uh, side of the business, uh, where you can grab uh, like, you know, big bucket of borscht, cabbage rolls uh, to uh, have at home or we make our own breads, pastries and so on. So, yeah, there, there is something for everybody there.
1: Okay, so people can come in and check that out for sure. Uh, how can we, you said that you wanted to help Ukrainians coming here. Are there going to be, do you think, more Ukrainians coming to Canada now?
5: If they get a chance, yes. But uh, currently, as as I understand, it's uh, un- unless you have a visa or unless you already applied before War, not war started. War started in 2014, as you said, and I that, that's what it is. But before this, uh, the new phase of the war started uh, six days ago. Uh, unless you applied already for a visa, or unless you are in Canada, uh, I I'm not sure if there is a way to um, get you know to expedite the Expedite? Yeah, they they promised to expedite the applications but at the moment uh, i'm not quite sure how feasible it is for ukrainians to fill out application because i mean the application is what it's a tourist visa it's none i mean where you state uh, that you will come back to your home country right there's the whole idea of the visa visa. but you cannot guarantee that and uh, i'm not sure how uh, canadian embassies in poland in uh, moldova i guess Uh, in other countries uh, see the situation, and to make it clear, and without uh, having people, you know, uh, lie in their applications, there should be a clear way to go to Canada, and even, even, uh, I mean, for example, we are here, we can support our relatives, they can live in our house, We we have food to feed them, right, and stuff, so I mean, right. it's, not, it's, not, it's not asking for any financial support right. or housing or anything. If you have relatives in Canada, you should be allowed to join them uh, using some sort of express entry um, right. process.
1: Well, you know what? We'll see what happens. And uh, certainly we wish you all the best, Sergey. If there's anything we can do to help, please let us know, okay? Thank
5: you. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank,
1: Thank you. you. That's Sergei Kuznetsov, who's the director of Kozak Ukrainian Eatery. They have been very busy. they got three locations. It, they've been incredibly busy with people wanting to show their support. And as you can tell, they are very vested in making sure they can do whatever they can to help.
0: This is Mornings with Simi. All
1: right, time now for us to check in with our contributor, Raji Sohal. Good morning, Raji.
6: Good morning, Simi. Yes, I've been checking in with the Ukrainian community here and uh, looking at what kind of organizing they're doing right now. They're still demonstrating. There's lots of petitions and online activism. Uh, They're calling for us to put pressure on our political leaders uh, to do more in Ukraine and also along the lines of refugees. A lot of pressure to uh, welcome people more easily and cut some of the red tape around on visas, make things move faster. And they want folks to show their support again this Sunday at the Pool Plaza. Their fundraising efforts are going full tilt. I talked to Irina Shiroka, the president of Ukrainian Congress of Canada. She told me they are getting, this was very interesting to me, tons, tons of inquiries into uh, how to join the foreign legion because people want to help in that effort. And she said they've also been getting nonstop offers for accommodation from Vancouverites and people throughout Metro Vancouver. And I asked Irina, who is offering to open up their homes to refugees?
3: Canadians, locals, um, everyone, like people who who have um, like secondary properties or they are willing to um, receive refugees in their uh, and host in their homes. Um, yeah, it's been. I mean, we are half a world away from Ukraine. It's not that we are in Poland, right? And people in Vancouver are willing to help, and they
4: are ready, and they you know they're just waiting for those women and children to arrive and to accommodate them.
1: Okay, that is so nice. So we keep hearing that from, it seems like everywhere, we heard it from Kozak Ukrainian Eatery too, is that they just want to be able to help, to have people come here and they'll look after them.
6: Yeah, people are very ready. And it's not just Ukrainians, it's, uh, they're getting requests from so, or ra- offers rather from so many different people. Um, and uh, sometimes they, they have an extra house or something, like this, but often they don't. But they know that uh, it would, if it would be of help, that they would love to offer it. So um, there are no, you know, official channels around this yet, where you know the government has set up some elaborate system. It's just uh, very grassroots. People just saying, "I have room. I would love to help. I would love to help out in any way I can." And to me, I've also been super curious about what Russians here in Vancouver are doing, and they are also getting active. I talked to several. Um, it's hard to get. Uh, it was hard for me to get Russians to go on. TV tape um, because they feared harassment. But I talked to one, George Lazovoy. he's a Russian man who immigrated to BC two years ago to do his PhD in economics, and he's involved in the demonstrations here because he's against Putin. He said that he and many other Russians like himself feel immense guilt. They feel responsibility that things have escalated to the point of war. For me,
0: personally, uh, I'm feeling... Shameful i 'm ashamed about my country i 'm ashamed about myself i wasn 't convincing enough to convince people of the Russian authorities activity in this area and I understand that uh, many of us Russians they feel the same feeling they feel that we shouldn 't have been silent for these twenty two years while Putin became stronger and stronger while He did the same in Georgia. He fighted with uh, Ukrainians in 2014. You know about Crimea. You know about Donbass Lugansk, which happened in 2014. And yes, we had strikes against war. But the quantity of these people was very small. Now people who I know here in Vancouver, they feel the shame for all of us for all of those Russians who ignored the situation.
6: Oh,
1: man, that, that's quite honest of him.
6: It really is, yeah. And you know, Simi, his family's being hit by what's happening in Russia right now because of the sanctions. And he told me he can't get money to his family in Moscow and they're being hit hard by the falling ruble. He said something I've read other Russians say too, which is that inflation and losing access to banks is a reasonable price for Russians to pay in order for Ukrainians to have their independence.
0: We can't, for instance, send money to our relatives to Russia since Russian banks sanctioned, and they're ready for that. They think, for instance, I had the conversation with a couple of uh, Russian people here in Vancouver. They say that they're ready for that because they they think this is very reasonable, and we need to have these sanctions against uh, Russian. Authorities, banks, uh, financial systems, because this is the ways how to stop the situation. This is not easy to them. This is not easy to them. But those people who understand the, the responsibility for that war as Russians, they're ready for that.
1: It sounds like even in Russia, this is quite a dividing thing, right? Because I know there's a lot of um, misinformation, there's a lot of propaganda in Russia where they're being told one thing and then they're kind of hearing something else.
6: Yeah. And although George was sharing with me uh, this story of how many Russians do support Ukraine and get their media from elsewhere, he said it's very easy. He sees it among some of his friends who just follow Russian state television and Russian media um, to be lost in this misinformation cycle where they believe that they are freeing Ukrainians. They have the story so distorted. And it was so interesting for him to talk about, to hear what he had to say about these personal sacrifices. Um, You know, people talk about personal sacrifice here in Canada, and we mean a very different thing. There are people who oppose the Putin government in Russia who are literally putting their lives on the line and getting arrested, facing torture, facing unknowns, uh, and facing harassment. And I mean, here we're getting hit at the pump. Uh, because of world oil prices being affected by Russian invasion. So we are also feeling some trickle. It's, it's interesting to see what people are willing to give up, what they're willing to sacrifice for, uh, for peace in Ukraine.
1: It certainly is. All right, Raji, thank you for that. Thanks, Amy.